Amen. Amen, y'all. <laughs> y'all. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, God. <laughs> bless you. God bless you. No place like home, kids. No place like home. Uh, you all, uh, standing ovations for you, uh, for praying, um, and uh, standing in the gap for your intercession, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And on behalf of Tony and the kids, thank you. Thank you to Pastor Brian for calling a prayer vigil. Thank you for all of you who prayed all, all through that day and all through the night and at three in the morning while you were praying, that's when the whole tide turned with the whole platelet issue and everything turned around. And so we saw God move and I thank you for that so very, very much. Thank you. And uh, thank you to the entire team who's labored so hard, Al Barth, who uh, has taken on so much leadership in these last few weeks, the entire team, all the elders, all the, the deacons, everybody who's done so much. And uh, uh, we are so grateful to be with you. People say, a few people said to me this morning, it's, uh, are you tired of people saying it's nice to see you? And I said, uh, no, it's always better to be seen than viewed. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just grateful to God uh, to, to be here and uh, to serve you in the word of God this morning. So I want to invite you to turn to the text I was supposed to preach uh, five weeks ago. <laughs> and that's Psalm 23, where I've been hanging out for the last five weeks, so you'd expect this message to be better. Um, than it would have been five weeks ago. And uh, so I'm very thankful for that. If you have a, a Bible with you, Psalm 23. Now there's a couple of places in the Bible that uh, in the English Bible uh, just do better in the King James Version. And uh, the birth narrative of Jesus in Luke's gospel is one of those. You just want to hear the texts say, and lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And that only shows up in the King James Version. And likewise, Psalm 23 is just one of those places. You can read a modern version, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need, and it just doesn't quite grab you the same way. But I shall not want is language we're familiar with. I know it doesn't work in Portuguese or Spanish the same way, but I'm going to read from Psalm 23 on uh, the Old King James Version, and I want to invite you to follow along. The words will be up on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this lyric, this song of confession and faith. I thank you for your great salvation. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised my life up from the dead. Lord, we thank you for the great deliverances you bring. We thank you for being our good, great, and chief shepherd. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to us, that these words, which he inspired so long ago, would find their place in our hearts and minds, and by that presence, renew us and redirect us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to take a moment with you, and I want to just show you the structure of this song. Now, I might not usually take time just to say, here's the structure of the way this is laid out. But one of the things I think we need to remember when we're in the Psalms is that we're dealing with the lyric of a song. Songs tell stories. They're, they're, they're allowing the composer to share with you something that they've experienced, that they've been through, and there's a particular narrative flow to it. Songs are powerful. That's why when you worship in song, it's not the only way we worship, but when we worship in song, the lyric gets down in our soul and music inscribes those words on our heart. That's why people have sung this song for 3,000 years now. In fact, I think it's within the mark to say that this is the most well-known song that's ever been written. I know it probably doesn't beat out White Christmas by Bing Crosby for most downloads on Spotify, but it is perhaps the most well-known lyric in the human race for all of those years. The Lord is my shepherd. You could walk up to anybody on the street just about and say, finish the sentence, the Lord is my shepherd. And still to this day, despite a culture which is in many ways antithetical to our faith, many, many, many people would be able to finish it. I shall not want. It's part of the rhythm. It's down in the depths of our very existence. And it comes from a, a man who started his teenage life as a shepherd. David, it says at the very front of this psalm, a psalm of David. And in this, there is a confession. That's how the, it begins. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then there's a section on what he does for us as a shepherd, and it's focused on a feast. He takes us to a place where we're finding as the lambs in that fold that the Lord shepherds all the drink we need, all the food we could possibly need. That's why we have everything we need. And then he leads us through this ravine of darkness, it's called the valley of the shadow of death here in the, in the English Bible. In Hebrew, it's, it, it could be translated as death valley. And he leads us through it. Not just to it, but through it. And he's with us in it. 
And that section is the middle part of the psalm. That verse is the centerpiece of the psalm. That verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then it takes us out to a wide place, having gone through that narrow place, into another place of feasting. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. That means you're an honored guest at the feast that the Lord has prepared. And he washes your feet and he pours that oil of comfort upon you. And he fills your cup to overflowing. So there's a banquet and then a narrow valley and another banquet and then another confession. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So a reflection on the rest of life and eternity is rooted in his experience of what he has seen God do for him. And it goes all the way back to the Lord is my shepherd. In the ancient world, the kings of peoples were described as the shepherds of those people. In fact, if you go back and you were to look at images, say, of old ancient Egyptian pharaohs, if you Googled that image, and, and some of, and, you know, if there's a boring part of the sermon, you could do it this morning. Some of you not pastor, I'm already there. I'm going to look that up. Um, and you would, see, you would see them cross like this with a, a staff in one hand and a rod in the other because they were the rulers. They were the shepherds of their nations. And so God came looking for David. He said he was a man after his own heart. And he appointed him, he said, to be the shepherd of my people. But that was in place of Saul. And when God chose David, what was David doing? Well, he was tending sheep. He was an actual shepherd. When Samuel the prophet came to anoint David as the king of Israel, he came to David's home to his father Jesse. God told Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, and in Jesse's house, you're going to see the next king who's going to replace Saul, man after my own heart who will do my will. So he got to Jesse's house, and he said, I want to see all your sons, so he lined them up. And he thought, well, this is the one, and God said, no, that's not the one. And he went all through the sons, and, there was, and the, king, the, the future king was not there. He said, well, do you, do you, is, these all, is this, this the whole crew? You got anybody else? He said, well, well, there's one more. Now, can I just tell you that if Samuel shows up at your house, Samuel, that's the exalted judge and prophet of the whole country. He was the most important figure in the nation. It's like combining a senator, president, and Supreme Court justice in a single person and turning him into somebody who carries the word of God in addition to that, just this incredible figure. If that guy shows up in your house, David's the son they left out. They said, well, he's out. He's, he said, well, I got one more. He's out there tending sheep. That was the dirtiest job. That was the lowest job. That's the one they gave to the kid who, who was the lowest because the last shall be first. He said, well, there's one more. He said, well, you better get him. Just wait. We'll wait. So they brought David in and he poured the oil on his head and he said, you're going to be the king. And the rejected and the forsaken and the one left out became the one who was the king. And he said, you are going to shepherd my people. Israel, when they wanted a king, came to Samuel and they said, we want a king because we want to be like all the other nations of the world. So he gave him Saul because Saul had a heart like all the other nations of the world, which was in rebellion against God. But then he brought David 
the rejected, the forsaken, the forgotten. And he made him the king, the man whose heart was disposed to be doing the will of God. And David, when he considered this, said to everybody this bold confession. The Lord, Yahweh, he's my shepherd. All the other, all the other nations of the world, every other nation of the world said, the king is my shepherd, Pharaoh is my shepherd, the president is my shepherd, the Supreme Court is my shepherd, the congressman is my shepherd, the pastor at the church is my shepherd. David said, Yahweh is my shepherd. Don't ever put your trust in your faith in any human government. Don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in human institutions. The Lord is the shepherd. Yahweh is the shepherd. God is my shepherd. Here's what David said. Don't look at me. I'm not the one with the rod and the staff. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who is the ruler of the universe. He's the king of the cosmos. He's the one who has my heart. And if he has mine, he should have yours. It's a pastor. You see, friends, we always get caught up in the political. We always get caught up in the societal. We always get caught up in the moment or the institutional. Let me tell you, in an ICU, nobody, nobody when you're laying in the ICU walks up to your bed and says, who'd you vote for? <laughs> nobody. There's not an R or a D or anything else on the top of your bed when you're laying there. And you don't care. Nobody else does. You, nobody sitting in the ICU waiting room who's praying for you asks any of those questions. Nobody sitting in an ICU waiting room praying for people that they love who are in there looks at the other people in the waiting room and, and asks, well, what, 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 what's your racial background? What's your ethnic background? What's your, what's your social economic status? Everybody just looks at one another and says, how are they doing? How can I pray for you? Because when you're one in suffering, when you're one in the dark valley, when you're in that place, you find out that no man can save you, but the Lord can save and deliver and bring a life back from the dead. And Ron Tobias knows it this morning. That's why he's watching from home and not from the ICU. The Lord is my shepherd. So what does God do for us as a shepherd? Well, it comes in the message of this psalm. And it's in three pronouns. Pronouns are getting a lot of press these days. <laughs> so I thought I'd share with you these pronouns. Watch it. Verse two. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, see, if you're talking about another person, in this case, male in that sense, he, you, you, you're talking about them. You're describing someone, he. That's what he does. If I, if I say to you, Brian, oh, I love it when Brian, I love it when Brian leads, he's a good leader. I love it when Brian prays, he prays well. I love it when Brian preaches, he preaches well. I'm, I, and that's right, you can applaud for Brian, that's good. And, uh, but uh, <laughs> we're all insecure, let me just tell you, we're just all very insecure people. But, but when I describe him, he, he. But if I go to Brian and I say, I walk up to Brian, I look him right in the eye and I say, Brian, Brian, he 
is a good leader. He is a good preacher. In a minute, after about a minute of that, Brian would go, whoa, 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 whoa. I think, I think maybe you're unfamiliar with syntax and grammar of the English language. Because if you're talking to me, you don't say he, you would say what? You. And that's what happens in the psalm. He leads me. He provides for me. He does this. This is what the Lord does. He. But watch what happens next. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. There's a movement in this psalm, in the song, from you, from he to you. He could be anywhere. He is out there. You are right here, face to face. Where, where does the psalmist move from he to you? Where do we move from a faith which is about God? to a faith that is face-to-face with God? Where does he become you? And God is not far off, but God is near, standing there before your face. Where does that happen? In the valley of the shadow of death. You. You are with me. Your rod, your staff. And I'm here to tell you, if you hear nothing else, I was there standing at the door, lying at the door, and he was there, and I did not fear, and he comforted me, and I did not know which way it would go, but whether I lived and it was Christ or I died and it was gain. He was there. And the he became you in a whole new way. And I'm telling you, friends, when God takes us into these narrow places, it were dark ravines, these narrow, dark ravines where there was great danger, the sheep, as they would move through these places to greener pastures, shepherds would lead them through. As they would do that, they were subject to the predators that were all around them. That's where we, we discover how helpless we are. See, here's the thing about sheep. People think, you'll even hear pastors say sheep are dumb. Sheep are not dumb. Goats are dumb. <laughs> Goats will eat anything. Goats will eat anything. Tin can, excellent, good, I'm eating it. Sheep, on the other hand, very, very, very particular palates, only eat really good grass. That's all they'll eat. The thing about sheep is two things. One, they're defenseless. They're just kind of fluffy. And they don't have claws. 
They just don't, and they don't have sharp teeth. They got, they got teeth that grind stuff like grass, but they don't, they don't have sharp teeth per se. I mean, they can bite. I've been bitten. I'm a shepherd. I've been bitten by a couple of sheep, but that's okay. That's another sermon. But, um, but they're largely defenseless, and, and they get scared easily. They just roll over and put their feet up in the air. That's what they do, and the shepherd just goes, oh, look, what are you doing? I'm praising God. No, you're not. Just turn them back over. The other thing sheep do is they wander off. They, want, they just wander off. Because they're, they're, and it's not because, not because they're stupid, it's because they got ADD. They just, they just get intrigued by stuff. And they go, they go, you know, squirrel, oh, oh, oh. And they just go looking. And you know, and then the shepherd's standing there and like, where's Cassidy? Oh, geez, again, oh my gosh. And then what happens in the ravine, they fall, they fall. And that's why he's got that hook at the end of, his, of that shepherd's staff. And he reaches down, picks, picks him up, gets him out of that deep place. He's got a, it's a long stick and he can hook him up and bring him back up out of there and put him on his shoulders and carry him home. How many of us have been carried home by the good shepherd? Time after time, he keeps bringing us home. Because <laughs> we wander away, that's what we do. But he's good to us. I, I, call, I was talking with a friend last week in Tennessee. I said, I just want to thank you for, you just kept in prayer bringing me to Jesus. He said, you got that wrong. He said, we were trying to keep you away from him for as long as we could. <laughs> Friends, he comes to us. He comes to us and he, we become we become aware that he is with us in these dark places. There was a man who suffered greatly, far more than anything I've ever experienced in the Bible, in a great poem, Job. And Job is suffering, and he had friends that came around him, and they were great friends as long as they kept their mouth shut. And then they, they started offering counsel. What'd you do wrong, Job? Because they believed in karma rather than God. And uh, so if you did something bad, that's why bad things happen to you, which is not true. And, and so Job, Job, uh, Job of course, it, it says he, had faith, he maintained his faith. He said, if God kills me, I'll trust him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Job didn't know what was going on. Satan had told God, Satan had told God, the only, re- jo- only reason Job serves you is for the same reason people serve me, because I, I give them what they want. As long as I give them what they want, fame, fortune, everything else, all the sex they want, all the money they want, everything they want, they serve me. And God, that's the same reason people serve you. You're no different than me. It was always Satan's objective to be as God. And God, he said, do you take Job, for instance, if you took everything that he has away from him, he'd curse you to your face. And everything was taken away from Job, and what did Job do? It says he bowed low and worshiped, and he said, if God kills me, I'll trust him. Satan was a liar. His lie was proven. That didn't mean Job didn't have questions. Job had questions, and he started to ask God his questions. It just goes on, God, why, why am I going through this? What's going on? What is happening? Am, am, have, I not, have I not been your servant? What is happening? Because he didn't, he didn't have a clue. He didn't know what was going on. There are many people I know who have questions. They want to question God. I even hear people say, I even hear people say, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna, I got some questions. Well, well, now, okay, okay, let's wait. If you get to heaven, okay, and you're standing there before God, and you see Christ, what's going to come out of your mouth? Hey, I got some questions. 
No, that's not what's coming out of your mouth. First of all, you're going to be going, I'm here. I'm here. Can you believe that? I'm here. I did not think I was going to be here. I'm here. I'm here. What's going to come out of your mouth? Listen, holy angels, seraphim is a Hebrew word that means fire being, fire beings that stand around the throne. All they do is cry out to each other, holy, 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 holy. They just, all they, they can't stop worshiping. It's a never ceasing anthem of praise. That's what holy angels do. What are we going to be doing? We're just going to join in the angel song. We're not going to be going, whoa, I got questions. We're just going to worship. We're going to be thankful. What happened to Job? I got questions. God said, well, Job, God did not answer Job's questions. He taught him the theological principle, finitum non capex infinity. Let's say that together. No, let's not. What does that mean? It means the finite cannot grasp the infinite. If you could get God, if you could get everything you want to know about God that satisfies your intellect inside your brain... First of all, <laughs> I had an electric razor back in the day, and uh, I took it with me to England on a, on a trip, and I thought I had a plug transformer, and all it was was a, 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 it converted the plug, it didn't transform the current. So I plugged my 110 into a 220, and it ran really well for about 15 seconds, and then it, boom, it blew up. Just smoke everywhere. If, that's what, if all the answers you want from God got inside your brain, that's what would happen. You'd be one of those emojis. Boom. Just blow up. You can't handle it. And so, so if God could fit inside your mind, he'd be a mind, he'd be a, he'd be a God who is as small as our minds, and God isn't that God. He doesn't answer our questions. He doesn't give us answers to all our questions. He gives us himself so he said, Job, I've got some questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, were you there when the morning stars sang and I created the deeps and I set the boundaries of the land? He goes through this whole series of questions. And he gets to the end and Job says, Lord, I've, I've heard of you, but now I see you. Now I see you. You. You move from he to you in the valley of the shadow. His rod and his staff comfort us. And Job said, I repent. What have I been doing the last few weeks? What did I do in ICU? I repented. Martin Luther said in the first of his 95 theses, the entire Christian life is a life of repentance. I never sat there saying, Lord, why? I never sat there saying, I got to get back to preaching, Lord. I'm busy here. Oh my gosh. No, I didn't. I asked for more time to repent. I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. That man runs away because he's a hired hand. He doesn't actually care about the sheep. You see, Jesus cares about us. And so he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I'm the good shepherd. I know them. This is verse 27. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
my father who has given them to me. You are a gift from the father to Jesus. You're one of his sheep. You said it at the beginning. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. My father has given them to me. He's greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my hand. You are one of the sheep of God's flock. And I'm telling you, friends, he gives you eternal life and nothing can take you out of his hand. He is the shepherd who gave his life for his lambs and he did it to take us through every single dark valley. He died and he rose to shepherd us, to seek us, to give his life for us so that you and I could have the kind of relationship with God that moves from he to you face to face. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him face to face? And I wouldn't wish on any person in this room anything that I've ever gone through. There are people who've gone through far, far worse than anything I've endured. But I do know this, that when the Lord takes us into these places, he does them to reveal himself to us. Satan designs trials to destroy our faith. God takes us into trials to purify our faith and to purify our, our, our lives because all of us like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. Him. And that is why Christ is the shepherd who became a lamb to die for us, to pay the price for our sins. The bad news is we do wander off. We do go astray. The bad news is we do deserve death. But he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved. And he did it and he rose again so that the price, the full price, not a partial price, the full price of our sin could be taken away. And the father could say, son, here's the sheep of your hand. You've got them. I've got them. And nothing can ever take them out of our hands. Those are nail-scarred hands that hold you today. The good shepherd has you in the valley. He will lead you through. He will not allow Satan or death or the enemy to have you at all. Never. That's why Paul at the end of Romans chapter 8 says, after talking about suffering, are we not sheep to be slaughtered? It's a rhetorical question. Are we not sheep to be slaughtered? What is his answer? No. No, we are not. We are not sheep to be slaughtered. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all these things. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Beloved, you are not sheep to be slaughtered because the shepherd is the lamb who laid down his life for his flock and he rose again and he reigns on high and he's got you in his hand and he will never let you go. Amen. That's a good shepherd. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, you have promised that goodness and mercy will pursue us and chase us down all of our lives. You take us through these dark places that we may see your face and discover your rod and your staff. Thank you that you deliver our souls from death. Thank you, Lord, that you gave yourself over to death as our good shepherd who laid down his life for his lambs to rescue us from the terrifying enemy that had come for us. 
Thank you that the last enemy is death and he too will be defeated and under your feet and under ours too. We long for the day when all the good grass is part of the new creation. And Lord, would you rise now and shepherd this flock by your hand and put in us, having been raised from the dead and setting our feet on the rock, a song of praise to our God. Good, great, and chief shepherd, we praise you that you prepare for us a table in the presence of our enemies. Pour your oil on the heads of every person in this place and pursue and overtake every person in this place with your goodness and mercy and bring us all safely home to the heavenly kingdom and all God's people said, amen.